So Rusty's away, and when the cat's away, the mice will play. <laughs> this week, uh, I led a staff meeting on Wednesday, and uh, we, we, we held that in his office just to keep a sense of normalcy with him gone. Um, but uh, one, of, one of the items, and, and he's not going to watch this service right now, so I can tell you, right? Uh, yeah, we, we, we all know that he's going to, but, but one of the items uh, on the minutes for that staff meeting, it's the last item, it's called a team building exercise. And uh, that's something that, that I had uh, Katie put on there. She's, she's our receptionist right now. Team building exercise, because uh, we're just doing things to his office, right? Uh, so that when he comes back, he'll know that, uh, that we missed him, and it's a... <laughs> You know, when people mess with you, that, that's really an expression of affection, isn't it? And we want him to know that we feel affection toward him. So, uh, yeah, team-building exercise. Um, it's, good for, it's good for Rusty, and it's good for the team. So, <laughs> All right, well, you know, I remember when uh, my wife and I, my wife Renee and I, first found out that she was expecting our first child. Uh, one of the things that we immediately launched into was compiling a list of possible names. It seemed like an incredible privilege to me, actually, uh, and an awesome responsibility. I mean, deciding what name this person would carry for the rest of their life, right? What, what people would call them, what they would call themselves, how they would think about themselves, the word that they would know themselves by for the rest of their life. Just thought, how fun is that to, to get to decide that for a person? Um, and how scary, too. And so, like I said, we, we started compiling. We had all kinds of names. Um, most of them were Hebrew names uh, taken from the Bible. <clears throat> and then, after the long months of pregnancy, uh, the hours spent in the, in the hospital, in the long agony of, of labor, uh, our first baby, out came this little blonde package, still wearing um, like that, that sort of peach fuzz, downy covering on, on his skin. They call it Lenugo, uh, I remember. Absolutely, that little package, that little person, the most beautiful thing I had ever seen in my life. I, I was not ready for it. It was absolutely breathtaking. Uh, and that was, that was uh, my first son. And I remember... As I received him, that package, into my hands, into my arms for the very first time, how strange and wonderful it felt to me as I opened my mouth and I gave him his name. Abishai. Your name is Abishai. And I remember how when we got home from the hospital, in a quiet moment when Renee uh, had laid down to sleep and recover, how I took that little package, Abishai, my little Abishai, and I sat down with him in the armchair with the sun softly coming in through the drapes, and, and, and I just looked at him. I just studied him, studied his face, kind of imprinting him on myself, on my mind, saying his name to myself and to him, just over and over, just saying, Abishai, 
Abishai. Abishai Redekop, imprinting him on myself, imprinting his name onto him. And you know what? That's, that's what I did for each of our four boys. After Abishai came Micaiah. I had my moment with him, uh, studying him, imprinting him, saying Micaiah, Micaiah Redekop. Uh, and then Asher saying Asher, Asher Redekop. And then finally Gilead uh, saying Gilead. You are Gilead Redekop, giving each of them, each of my four sons, uh, something of their identities, giving them their names. And so when you think about it, a name is an intimate and a powerful thing. A name is a word which stands for a person. And what if that person were God? Might that affect our use of the name? We find out the answer in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, which is the third of the Ten Commandments. So what does it say? It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. All right, so if you're joining us uh, maybe for the first time in a little while here uh, or, uh, or have been here before, we are in the middle of our summer sermon series going through the Ten Commandments. Uh, this series is going to take us all the way through the summer, uh, through Labor Day, and we've called it Set Free to Live Free. I love that title because that's what the Ten Commandments are about. They're instructions from the God who set us free in the first place and they're given to us to show us how to live and to continue to be free, set free to live free. And so for uh, those kids in the room or watching at home, uh, the word of the week isn't name. That might have been the word that you would have guessed it would be. It's actually represent. The word of the week is represent. And so kids, if you count the number of times that I say that word, represent, or any form of that word, representing, represented, uh, after this point, and then ask your parents to email or phone uh, that number into the office. We'll compensate you with Bible bucks to use at the kids' store uh, here at the church. Okay? So beginning now. All right, so as I've said, we've called this series Set Free to Live Free uh, because that's what the Ten Commandments are about. They're instructions from the God who set us free uh, to show us how to live and continue to be free. And so the first commandment, let's, let's walk through uh, the commandments that lead us up to this third commandment. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That sets us free from what? That sets us free from worshiping false gods, from giving our hearts to things that aren't God. And then the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image to bow down to. What does that set us free from? That sets us free from man-made ideas about God, false images of what God is like. And then the third commandment, today's commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. What does that set us free from? It's interesting. As we're going to find out together, that sets us free from becoming ourselves 
false images of God. So whereas the second commandment sets us free from giving ourselves in worship to false images, the third commandment sets us free from becoming false images. You'll find out what we mean by that. Now somebody might say, now wait, wait a second. I thought the third commandment was about not cussing or swearing or at least not using God's name as a swear word. And that's true, that's absolutely true. The third commandment is about that. But you know what, that isn't all it's about, actually. That may not even be the main thing it's about. Because as you notice, the third commandment, it's, it's worded in a rather peculiar way, actually. Uh, at least in the more literal translations. It says, you shall not take the Lord's name in vain. What it doesn't say is you shall not speak the name of the Lord in vain. And there's a difference. There's a difference between those two things. The actual Hebrew word that's behind our English translations of this verse is nasa. That's the word, the verb. And it means to lift or to carry or to bear. Nasa. And so what this is saying is you shall not, very literally, you shall not lift God's name in vain. You shall not carry God's name in vain. Probably best of all, you shall not bear God's name in vain. Okay? You shall not bear God's name in vain. Now, when Renee and I named our children, we didn't just give them first names. Abishai, Micaiah, Asher, and Gilead. We gave them a last name, too. Redekop. We gave them our name. The one that Renee took upon herself when she and I were married. And so our children bear our name. And you know what? It is exactly the same with the people of God. Listen to this. Numbers 6.22 to verse 27. Here's what the Lord said. He said, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus shall you bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. And so you see, the people of God, they bore God's name. They carried his name. They wore his name like a jewel on their shoulders wherever they went representing the Lord to the world. And so they were called a kingdom of priests. Exodus chapter 19, verses 5 and 6. What does God say? He says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, 
and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, there's a couple of notes in that little passage there that are worth drawing out. One is possession, right? You shall be my treasured possession. And then there's this other note of representation, right? Uh, You shall be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And those two things, possession and representation, are exactly what it means to carry God's name. So first, you belong to him. You're, You're his possession, his treasured possession. And second, you represent him. You represent him. And so these two things together are what it means to bear God's name. That's what it means to be a kingdom of priests. Israel was known as the kingdom of priests in the Old Testament. And now in the New Testament, Christians are known as exactly the same thing, a kingdom of priests. Now, when the first priests of Israel were given their priestly garments, their priestly clothing, God gave them very detailed instructions for the design of these garments. And and they're interesting. They're they're actually quite telling for our purposes today of, of unpacking what it means to bear God's name. As a part of those instructions, here's what God said. Exodus chapter 28, beginning at verse nine. He said, you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on the one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone, in the order of their birth. As a jeweler engraves signets, so shall you engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You shall enclose them in settings of gold filigree, and you shall set the two stones on the shoulder pieces of the ephod. As stones of remembrance, the ephod was this garment the priest wore, as stones of remembrance for the sons of Israel. And Aaron, that's the chief priest, Aaron shall bear, Nasa, same word, Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders for, rem- for remembrance. Okay, so did you catch how that worked? How the priest carried or bore the names of God's people into God's presence by wearing their names, literally on his shoulders. The priest was representing the people of God before God. And that, God said, is exactly what his people were to do for him before the watching world. They were to be a kingdom of priests, to represent him, to bear his name forward. And by obeying his voice, by keeping his covenant, they would show all the peoples of the world what God was like. What God was like. That's what it meant to bear God's name. Look, Moses said to them, Deuteronomy chapter 4, look, 
I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who, when they hear all these statutes, will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And so Israel was supposed to keep God's commandments as a form of evangelism, right? So that the the surrounding nations would see how they lived and learn something about their God, the God who had taught them to live that way. This was evangelism. This is what it meant to bear the Lord's name. Okay, now, if this is what it means to bear the Lord's name, then what do you think it means to bear his name in vain? As I said at the beginning, the the common understanding of of it is is that it means using God's name or, or Jesus' name as a swear word. And absolutely, that's included because his name is holy, right? His name is so good, it's so pure and holy that before God spoke it to Moses, we heard Rusty talk about this last week, before God spoke his name to Moses, before the burning bush, he had Moses take off his sandals. Then when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, you remember what the first line of that prayer was? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. You know what that tells us? That tells us that that there is something in this world that, uh, that we do not get to be casual about. There is something high, there's something holy, something that just soars in its goodness above all other things, above all common things, something we don't get to be casual about, but must honor and treasure and and hold up as, as hallowed, as holy. How many things does our culture today truly hold up as holy? It's a category that's almost been completely lost. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And so bearing his name in vain would absolutely include using it as a swear word. What a ridiculous, stupid, filthy thing to do. But what else would it include? Speaking falsely in his name would be included in bearing the name of the Lord in vain, speaking falsely in God's name. For example, taking an oath by his name and then lying, not telling the truth. Or maybe this would be easier to fall into, saying that God told you something that maybe you're not quite so sure he did tell you. Sometimes we take on this language of, you know, God told me this, God told me that. It's easy to fall into. And maybe you don't really know that God told you that. We want to be very careful 
we want to be very careful about saying that, uh, that God has told us something as Christians, because it, it can really be a habit. It can become a habit, saying God told me this, or, or the Lord called us to do that, or the Spirit told me this about you. All of those things should be said only if you're sure that God actually said them. If you're not 100% sure, then just be honest about that, right? Just say, I think God may be calling us, or I sense that God may be telling me, because you know what? God does still speak today. He does still speak to us today. He does still call us to do things today, and his spirit does speak to our spirits to build up the body. His spirit may tell us something that somebody else needs to hear, and we can't withhold that. That would be unfaithful as well, but we want to be honest. We want to be clear about the level of certainty that we ourselves feel as we sense that God may be speaking to us. Just be transparent about that, right? Not bear his name in vain. Be careful that we don't misrepresent him. Deuteronomy chapter 20, it says, the prophet who, sp- who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak that same prophet shall die. That's how seriously God took people speaking in his name. Now, both of these examples that we just gave are about misrepresenting God with our words, using his his name as a swear word or using his name um, to buttress something that we're saying, to, to, to say that God told me this, or that I'm going to tell the truth. Both of those examples are about misrepresenting God with our words. But this next example, and which I think is actually the main category in this, in this commandment, is about misrepresenting God with our actions. Misrepresenting God with our actions. Calling yourself a Christian, bearing Christ's name while misrepresenting him, saying you follow Jesus while living against Jesus' teaching. That's bearing the Lord's name in vain. If bearing the Lord's name means representing him by living according to his word, then bearing his name in vain would mean misrepresenting him by living contrary to his word while yet still bearing his name. Now on one level, all of us do this, right? Because all of us sin. None of us represents God flawlessly. Only Jesus, the word made flesh, who was with God and who was God, could ever do that, could ever represent the Father flawlessly. And yet, there is a difference between momentarily stumbling in sin and then repenting, confessing that to the Lord and asking his forgiveness and moving forward in Christ. There's a difference between that and habitually misrepresenting the Lord, settling into sin, becoming comfortable with it, with with gossiping, 
or with an addiction or with sexual impurity or by just representing causes that are contrary to Christ. Never forget that if you call yourself a Christian, representing Christ is your first and highest calling in this world. And all other allegiances come second to that first primary calling, representing Jesus. Never forget what that word Christian means. It means little Christ. And so when you, when you call yourself a Christian, you agree to something. You agree to stand as an image in your world of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a perilous calling that is, to agree to stand in the world as an image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it would look like if Jesus were a school teacher. You want to know what it would look like if Jesus were a dentist? Watch my life. That's what it means to be a Christian. That is a high and a perilous calling. And you know what? It's the best thing in the world for us. It is the best thing that any of us could possibly think to take on in our life. Have you ever heard of a book called The Da Vinci Code? Yeah? I thought so. Made a big splash a few years ago. It was uh, one of those massive bestsellers. It was even sold in confectionaries for a while. Kind of a conspiracy theory, mystery suspense story. Uh, and its story was based on this made-up idea, this made-up bit of history. And I'll tell you what it was. Uh, it was based on this idea, completely made up, not based in history, uh, that sometime in his life, Jesus was secretly married. Now, like I said, this, this never happened. There's zero historical basis for it, totally made up. But in the invented history of the Da Vinci Code, Jesus was married, and together, he and his wife had children. And those children had children. And those children had children, and those children had children, until you get to today, and guess what? The great, 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 great grandchildren of Jesus are living in our time today. Again, this isn't true. It's completely make-believe, but just think with me for, for a moment of, of what, what that would be like if it were true. Like if, if there were really physical descendants of Jesus today living in our cities, walking on our streets, working in our offices, sitting in our schools. And it makes you wonder, well, what would such people look like? How would they act? Uh, how would their smile make you feel? And you know what the answer is? Nothing. Nothing. A bio biological descendant of Jesus would make you feel nothing all that different from any other person in the world. Because after all, all they would have is, is just Jesus' DNA 
they wouldn't have his personality. They wouldn't have his spirit inside them. But here's what that little bit of nonsense made, made me realize. If somebody were to carry, like, not the DNA of Jesus, but his spirit inside them, well, that would be another matter. I mean, that would accomplish something far deeper, far more intimate than the sharing of DNA could ever accomplish. The sharing of Jesus' spirit would mean that, that your very personality, like the things that you're drawn to, the way that you react in those off-the-cuff moments when, when you can't plan for, for how you react, all of those would, would look something like Jesus' personality, like Jesus' reactions, as though Jesus were still here today, living through you, the bearers of his name. And maybe you've guessed it, that part is real. That part isn't made up, right? That part is nothing more than what it says in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 9. I love this passage. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who trusted in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God, on a DNA level? Nope. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And that is you, Christian. That is you, because you were reborn when you gave your life to Christ. And when you were born, when you were born that way, that way that is deeper than, uh, than any DNA, any physical birth could be, do you know what happened? The Heavenly Father, He marked you. He did. He sealed you. He came over you just like a father, sitting down with his new baby for the very first time, you know what he did? He set his name upon you. And now you bear it. Now you bear God's name. Can you think of anything that could possibly be of greater meaning in your life? Like if you had five minutes, if, if God were to give you five minutes and say, you know what, I'm gonna give you five minutes, and you're going to bear my name, and you're going to communicate who I am, who my son is, in our love to the world, if you really got that, I think you would feel like, man, if I die after those five minutes, I have everything to be thankful for, because that is the most extravagant gift that could possibly be given to anybody. To bear the name of Christ like a banner in the world. And so don't bear it in vain. Don't bear his name in vain. Don't be a false image of Christ. But with the help of his Holy Spirit, 
be a true image of Christ. Own your chance to bear Jesus' name. Really own it in your life. Now, maybe you're with us in this room. Maybe you're at home watching and, uh, and you're not a Christian and you don't bear God's name, Jesus' name. And let me say, you know what? We're so glad that you're with us. We're so excited about that. And uh, maybe you've been hearing all of this and, and you've actually felt something awaken inside of you. Uh, and, and you would say, you know what? I would like to bear Jesus' name. I don't know everything about what that means, but I would like that for my life. And I'd like to give my life to him so that he can give his life to me, his name to me. And if that's you, if, if you're in that place, either in this room or, or at home, then uh, as we bow our heads together, I'm, I'm just going to invite you to, to join me in this prayer. So let's bow our heads. Father, I give my life, each of us, Father, we give our lives to you through faith in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I ask you to forgive me for all the wrong that I've done for the sake of your Son, Jesus, who died for my sins and rose from the dead. Take my life, take my name, and make me yours, and give me your name, your son's name. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What a great prayer. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, let me tell you, I would love to hear about that. Uh, and so just let me know, or let one of the regulars here know. E email us here at the office, at the church, uh, and we'd be really excited to help you get started on what it really means uh, to live your new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, uh, as the music team comes forward uh, to, to close in a song, I'm going to speak uh, the blessing that, uh, that God gave to Aaron to set his name on his people, okay? So this is the blessing that God gave to Aaron to, to put his name on his people, so may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his face on you and give you peace. In Jesus' name, amen.